Can Hector and Tony convince me to give Star Trek a shot? Well, we'll find out in an all-new episode. Greetings, adventurer, and welcome to the Surly Nerd. Greetings, adventurers, and welcome to the show. We are the Surly Nerd, your geek news roundup for the week that was. I'm your host, James, and with me this week is our producer, Tony. Hello. And our lovely co-host, Hector. It's good to be back. Who is finally back at the table with us. Mm-hmm. We oh, mi- man. We missed you. I missed y'all. <laughs> this week, after the news, we're going to be talking about what makes Star Trek a franchise that's worth your time as they try and convince me why it's so great. Before we start, don't forget that you can head over to patreon.com slash thesurlynerd, where as a patron of our show, you can suggest topics for us to talk about. We have an upcoming mini-episode on the Final Fantasy VII remake in the works right now, thanks to our patron Keith, and it will be available first on Patreon. We also want to give a shout-out to our other Patreons, Brooklyn and Jack, for just being a, for donating to us. Thank you very much for that. And if you like what we're doing here, we'd love if you'd just recommend us to a friend. It really does mean the world to us. With all that out of the way, ladies and gentlemen, adventurers of all ages, it's time for The Prelude. Prelude. All right, this is The Prelude. This is what we've been doing with ourselves this week, what we've been playing, what we've been watching, what's been occupying our free time. Hector, you've been missing from us. What have you been doing? Well, um, so... It I, better be good. Not, not to disappoint anybody, but I have a pared-down list of what I've done over the last two weeks. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, the reason is I have a few very, very good things to mention. Um, first one I'm going to talk about is a little game you get for free with PlayStation Plus called Maneater. Okay. In this game, you play a shark. And as a shark, you eat people. Okay. And that is the game. Think of something a lot like a Just Cause, where you're, the idea is you're performing greater and greater feats of chaos mm-hmm. for style points and to get access to better skills, etc. And you're a shark, and you swim around, and you eat people, and sometimes there are fish that don't like you around, and they attack you, and you have to fight Swimming other fish. Swimming mechanics in games are often one of the worst things about them. Mm-hmm. How is the game where you are a shark? It's kind of amazing, because you feel fast. Okay. The thing about swimming mechanics normally, um, once you get over the uh, whether or not you want your controls inverted, and that's a whole conversation underwater okay. and in the air. But once you get over that part and just controlling it, you there's a sense of like a burst of speed. So you never feel like you're out of reach of what you like need to get to or that you're going too slow or that you're swimming, you know, a lot like it does in video games where it's like, God, I'm going so slow right now. Everything feels fast and everything feels awesome and you can jump out of the water super high. Mm -hmm. You need to sometimes to clear, I mean, as you get stronger, whole uh, overpasses, like highway overpasses. You can jump from the water over an overpass and you need to for certain things like collectibles in certain stages. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) There's a, and you might think that as a shark, you may only be in the water. You were very, very wrong. If there are people up on land, you can just flop up onto land while they run away from you. No, you can't walk, obviously. (laughs) You just kind of flop after them, trying to eat them while they run away from you screaming and all their friends scatter and you're going to get a few of them and then you're going to get back in the water because you just turn around and flop back the other way. (laughs) It's one of the most hilarious times I've ever had with a game. It feels like if a shark game 
met with, I don't know, uh, the burnout series, <laughs> you know, right. it's just okay. like, yeah, whatever cars. I know cars, cars don't actually do this, but we're doing it. And, th- but with sharks. Nice. So man eater, yes. um, item number one, great game. Highly recommend for free on PlayStation plus, I believe four and five. Okay. So yeah, go for it. Um, uh, second one, second video game is, uh, Neo two. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do I describe Neo 2? I tried to describe it to James, and it did pique his interest. So, um, if you took the... Uh, you said you gave me, like, Diablo Dark Souls. Yes, if you took the very deliberate and um, weighty combat of something like Monster Hunter. And the reason I say Monster Hunter and not Dark Souls is because there are a couple of weapon classes, and everything occurs within them, but they all have very unique sets of actions that you take and, like, attacks. And once you're in them, you're in them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So think like Monster Hunter style combat mixed with Dark Souls style progression, which is the whole like bonfire system and moving forward. And when you hit a bonfire, everything responds, but you're safe. Right. And, you know, your stuff is recharged. And then take a loot system and emphasis on like repeat playthroughs for like gear and set grinding from Diablo 2. Okay. And so that's what you have. The game can be played entirely in co-op. And the combat system, while I did compare it to Dark, you compare it to Dark Souls, and I did compare it to Monster Hunter, is like those things if they were a very fine wine. This is the best combat system in a Souls like that has ever existed, including in every Souls game. I've never this had this much fun operating a Souls game except Bloodborne. Okay, I was gonna say, like, and the we, reason we got we one very specific. Instance, and the right? reason, the only reason I had this much fun with Bloodborne was because of how cool it was. Mm-hmm. It still wasn't this much fun to play. Okay. And I can the only way to explain that to you is to play the game with you. So I recommend you check it out. It is a thousand miles deep of a game like okay. every system has other systems and they all interact with each other mm-hmm. there's yeah I, did, I could go on and on and on but it would make this a very long segment mm-hmm. just to 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 put the emphasis on it i put about 40 hours into this game since friday wow yeah it is awesome mm-hmm. and i haven't stopped playing it it's great and it, it helps that it can be experienced entirely in co-op I so like uh, you yeah, know, I'm cool. running. I'm running through it with a friend, and that's very rare in Souls games. Yeah. Being able to do that, mm-hmm. so you have to really coordinate to be able to. do You something do, like and that. in this one, you don't. You literally yeah. just make a room, friend join, start mission, yeah. and you're good. Um, yeah, amazing game. Can't recommend it enough. It's on Steam now. Finally, mm-hmm. it came out uh, exclusively for PlayStation in March of 2020. Is it a crossplay game or just? Um, no, you can retrieve your data. Okay, uh, but you uh, cannot. Like, I can't play with people on PlayStation. Right. Got it. Uh, four or five, but um, when it came out for PlayStation Five with like an upgraded version with like full frame rate and everything, mm-hmm. it came out for Steam, and it's the best way to play it. Okay, yeah, highly recommend. So, um, two uh, two shows that are very good, and one that uh, would just you know broke my heart with how amazing it is. The first two are uh, in and of itself, which is a single um, instance of. Uh, it's like a magic show. It's a. It's on Hulu. Okay. It is. Yeah. It's um uh like a magic production. Um, and it's hard to call it a magic production because the 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 guy interacts with the audience a lot. Okay. Like like a lot. Uh, he's. For instance, there's a segment where he brings someone up and he hands them something and he asks them. Well, he asks the audience first, who can come back tomorrow? Okay. And. 
some pe- like when people realize he's serious and this isn't a joke, like eventually one or two people raise their hands. He brings them on stage. He gives them something and he's like, I need to give this to you. And now you need to leave. You don't get to see the end of the show. Mm-hmm. You get to see it tomorrow, but you get to go home and you get to write down what you think the end of the show is. Mm-hmm. And goodbye. And they leave. Weird. Yeah. And then the rest of the audience gets to see the end of the show. And then he reads to them from, he reads from the thing he hands the person who left. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's this massive binder of everything they wrote down that they thought the end of the show might be. Mm-hmm. And when he reads through it, he's like, yeah, does that mean I, based on what we've done so far, like people think like this or that or this, like uh, the, the level of interaction is something like I've never seen before. Hmm. It's very interesting. You will cry like from the midpoint on. Really? Wow. <laughs> yes. Okay. It that is, is a bold claim. Powerful. It is touching. It is incredible magic, mm-hmm. uh, like, like stage magic. And yeah, it's just an amazing way to spend uh, about an hour and a half in and of okay. itself. Uh, it's on Hulu? It's on Hulu. Okay, I'm going to have to check that out then. Absolutely watch it. It's, yeah, inc- very much worth your time. Okay. Second one, Netflix show just came out. It's called Firefly Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, that stars... Tony, I think, mm-hmm. briefly mentioned that last mm-hmm. week. It stars uh, Sarah Chalk and... Um, Catherine Heigl. And I thought she was like banned from Hollywood after what she did on Grey's Anatomy, but I guess not. Apparently not. Um, but she she does great. I was not her biggest fan, still am not, mm-hmm. but she is fantastic in this show. She's very, very well written. The writing is wicked smart. And both her and Sarah Chalk, who I love, are just acting their asses off. Nice. Very, very good show. Um, but the last one um, is an Apple TV exclusive. I'll okay. just get that out of the way at the start. Uh, it's called Ted Lasso and the, just the elevator pitch, uh, would be a, um, high school, no college, a college football coach, um, who has exactly one championship under his belt, Mm -hmm. uh, is, um, hired to coach a premier league soccer team in the UK. Okay. Um, he knows absolutely nothing about soccer, mm-hmm. has never played the sport, has never coached the sport, doesn't know what the rules are, and a uh, and they're hired based on absolutely nothing to go and coach this team, mm-hmm. and shenanigans ensue. He is also, remember, from the uh, mid-southern United States, mm-hmm. so there's also a culture clash. Well, this sounds like a fairly standard comedy so far. It's about half an hour episodes, 10 episodes, no right. big deal. Again, for Apple TV, someone knows nothing of what to expect uh, mm-hmm. of. The show is run by Bill Lawrence, the guy responsible almost entirely for Scrubs. Okay, and, okay, you got me there. Yeah, and uh, Jason Sudeikis. And if you're a fan of Jason Sudeikis, then, I mean, you know comedy. That's an excellent combination. Yes, they are great together. Jason Sudeikis stars in the show as well as being, you know, one of the producers and writers. And Bill Lawrence is running the show. And it is one of the best shows I watched in 2020. Wow. It that, is, that is a bold claim right there. It is. It really is. It is one of the funniest shows I watched in 2020. Mm-hmm. But by far, it is the show that made me feel the best. I, well, this was the guy behind Scrubs. Exactly. And they do know how to bring out the emotion when it comes to a television show. Yeah. Now, now the fascinating thing, you were talking to me when we went and had lunch the other day. Mm-hmm. And you said the most fascinating aspect of this show is not who's running it or, you know, the cast or anything like that. It's that this show from what you told me comes Mm -hmm. from a commercial yes okay yeah the character ted lasso does actually have history um and i think it was nbc sports 
um, put out a series of promotion ads in around 2008. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, about a coach because they were about to premiere premier soccer from the UK on NBC Sports. Mm-hmm. And they made fun of themselves by saying, look, we're going to send this, like, one-time champion, you know, college football coach out to, you know, tell you all about soccer. And in the, if you're in the UK, please watch our bullshit. We know we don't know shit about soccer. Mm-hmm. So they had this hilarious character, I believe still played by Jason Sudeikis at mm-hmm. the time. Okay. Um, and, yeah, he was like, lol, soccer, uh, guys, I guess we're going to kick it down the field. Um, no, they don't call it a field. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, yeah, for all four quarters, two halves, bro. All right, yeah, we're gonna play and just you know we're gonna be a good team, win or lose or tie. Shit. <laughs> so this is a commercial that has now become a television show, right? And you, and you were saying that is one of the best pieces of television you've seen in the last year. Yes, by far. Is, yeah, one crazy. of the best I've seen in a very long time, actually. And That's the reason and. I, I can't really tell you anything else or even why it makes me feel so good to watch it, but I promise you, you will come out of it like the Grinch with your heart growing three sizes. Wow. You will love this show. Please watch it. If you take any of my recommendations about anything that happened in 2020, watch Ted Lasso. Okay. That is so the opposite of the only other show that I know that became a, uh, or as a commercial that became a television show, which was The Caveman Show. Oh, I thought, I thought, oh, I thought you were going to say Max Hedrum. No, uh, yeah, that was also a commercial that became a, a show, <laughs> wasn't it? That's weird. So there's three. Yeah. If anybody else can think of one, uh, let us know it uh, at the Surly Nerd on Twitter because I am actually interested in that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tony, and I don't feel like looking it up. Tony, what'd you do? <laughs> um, let's see. I watched a suspenseful movie that I've been waiting over a year to watch, Saint Maud. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been wanting to see that. Hector and I watched this trailer probably 30 times. In 2019? Yep, (laughs) at least. Every time we went to the movies in 2019, we saw that fucking trailer. Yeah, a lot. (laughs) It's an A24 production. Yeah, A24 production. Um, It's marketed as a horror movie. Mm -hmm. Um, It's. uh, I'm just going to leave it as that. Don't watch the trailer. Just if you want to watch a very interesting, suspenseful story of a girl kind of probably having a mental breakdown Mm -hmm. and an old lady who's kind of a bitch. Mm -hmm. That's about the most I can really leave for the plot line the entire fucking thing. And with the idea that's a suspense horror-esque thing made by A24. This is like when I try to explain the plot of like the red dress. (laughs) If I do, I'm going to spoil the whole fucking thing. What else have you done? Uh, So I very much enjoyed St. Maud. It is good. I just finally got to fucking watch it. Yeah. Um, Destiny 2 has a new season out, uh, out now. It came out Tuesday. I've played it a little bit. Okay. It's fun. <laughs> Anything else? Um, I watched that dumb fairy show. I wrote right, that down. That Netflix fairy show that I got yeah. on you about, and I was like, Tony, watch the young adult. It's like Wix or the Wix, Wix Chronicles or something, or something like that. Tony always ropes me. Netflix into sh- hasn't even suggested. It Tony to me. always ropes me into shit like True Blood mm-hmm. and like oh yeah, it, like yeah, yeah. young adult supernatural stuff like mm-hmm. like hardcore like supernatural. <laughs> and so like when I heard that when Netflix recommended this thing to me, I was like, all right, so you got to watch it, Tony, to tell me if I got to watch it or not. Yeah. And he was like, oh yeah, I just haven't gotten around to it. Now he's finally gotten around to the Wix okay. Chronicles or whatever. So that dumb fucking fairy show. Yeah. It's a dumb. I can't. I can't do it. I just can't fucking do it. You know, every once in a while, 
I know it's I just don't think I can do the genre anymore and it's not oh, the fairies fair. going to a college magical bullshit thing. Mm-hmm. It's 30-year-olds that are meant to be 16-year-olds. Which is a great segue for me to talk about the fact that I picked <laughs> up and started watching the final season of The Magicians this week. Oh, yeah. what a good Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I finished it uh, late last year. You're in for a good run. Yeah, yeah. This is the last season. I'm about three episodes out of ten in. Holy mm. shit! I didn't expect the show to be that good after what happened last season. It yeah. is probably one of the best seasons that yep. they've had. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, this week I've been working on the uh, hard mode playthrough of Final Fantasy VII remake. A lot of that can go fuck itself, but I'm still going to power through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and last but not least, just real briefly, if I can make a recommendation on Hulu, new Tina Fey show starring Ted Danson, Mr. Mayor. It is fucking hilarious Ooh, adding that to my list like it is so good i mean it's obviously a tina Fey show so it's going to be very solid but it's also a ted danson show and he's basically (laughs) a dude who becomes the mayor of la because he wants his daughter to be proud of him and it has the charm of parks and rec but the ability to not have to be that because it's not told through a camera like first person camera right um so it's a very heartfelt show there's a lot of really great comedic moments in it do go watch mr mayor seriously it is i binged almost everything they had on i think there's like six or seven episodes up on hulu right now Mm -hmm. and i binged almost all of them last night because i was just like oh i needed a comedy that's like this yep i just added it to my stuff (laughs) absolutely all right that's everything we have for the prelude this week but stick with us on the other side we'll be going into our new segment in the weekly raid Weekly Raid. Hey, Adventures. Welcome back to the show. This is the Weekly Raid. It is our news roundup for the week, and my God, do we have a lot of news to go through. It was a week. I had to I had to seriously parse down so much news that happened. Uh, so let's kick things off this week with some fun news. Uh, Charlie Cox, who played Daredevil in the Netflix series, uh, Daredevil, has wrapped filming on the new Spider-Man film. We Ooh. still do not know who he's playing in the film. That being said, Spider-Man actor Tom Holland opened up this week on the rumors that past Spider-Men, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, would be appearing in the film, saying, no, they are not appearing unless they have hidden that most massive piece of information from me. Hmm. Which they would. <laughs> I mean, they might need to. He does have a tendency to talk, but you figure if there's a Spider-Man can, crossover. Editing. editing is a magical art, and they can have him say some shit that he did not say Imagine in that Imagine if they order. planned a whole movie where it's like, yeah. We just, just can't tell Tom Holland. We just uh, don't Tom him. Holland, I need you to act against this tennis ball for like 10 minutes. Just learn your lines. Yeah. It's like, all right, Toby, uh, yeah, come, come on in here. Um, uh, Andrew, yeah, you too. All right, you guys can act together. We we, we know you guys. <laughs> Everybody can keep your else can shut. know about this. We don't this trust. Yeah, we don't no. trust. Yeah, the there's young a one. lot of cameos. Like Downey, let's get Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, we can all come in now, guys. He's gone. All right, let's let's film. He is notorious for spilling the beans on what happens in, in things. Uh, also, in the world of Marvel, the writer of the hit television show Watchmen, and I'm trying not to butcher this, Stacy. Ose Kafur mm-hmm. has been announced as the writer for the upcoming Marvel Blade reboot. Okay. Yes. The writer of the hit TV series Watchmen yeah. that won fucking awards. Yeah. And was amazing, by the way. Writing Blade. Oof. I posted on Twitter on my personal account this mm-hmm. week uh, that I really hoped that 
um, I, that we at least get a blood rave scene. Mm-hmm. Like just just one, just like for five seconds. Just give me a blood rave scene. Yep. I, I, that's all I want. It being HBO, I'm a little worried there will be too many blood rave scenes. <laughs> like 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 we're gonna see how this goes. Well, this is gonna be the new Marvel movie. Oh, yeah. This is the new wait. Movie. It's a movie movie. Yeah. This is, a, this yeah. is the Blade, Blade movie movie. Yeah, we need at least one That's blood part of scene. MCU. It was literally yeah, the most iconic MCU, thing to happen right. in the Wesley Snipes version. Yeah, and like, that was a great movie. The first was. one. Uh, the second one. Was I first wonder, second one was fine. Yeah. Second one. Holy was Del shit! Yes. Deadpool gets to make Blade more Blade references because he was also in Blade. Oh god! <laughs> As yeah. <laughs> this is going to be fun for like I, I'm so looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see here in the world of casting news. Uh, Pedro Pascal has been cast as Joel, and Bella Ramsey, who most of you know from Game of Thrones, has been cast as Ellie for the up- upcoming HBO Last of Us series. They're both in Game of Thrones. They fuck. They are both in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Everybody keeps forgetting about that. <laughs> yes. I'm not sorry. the same time. Yeah. Not not they were never acted together, but nobody wants to remember that. Nope. No one wants to remember Pedro Pascal getting his fucking head squeezed off. I don't know. That's, sometimes that's what works for me. Because what? that moment literally traumatized everyone who hadn't read the books. They were like, "Oh man, this guy's really taking down the night. This guy rules. Go Sand Kingdom or whatever." And then just. <laughs> murdered see at that point i had gone to expect that everybody that was kind of cool on the show was going to die mm, it's a fair assumption so i was just in it for i mean the mountainy thing came back so now we have <laughs> peter pascal who has gone from a very very successful television show mm-hmm. in which um he goes from place to place while escorting somebody mm-hmm. to a new hbo show in which he will be playing a character that will be escorting a person from place to place. Correct. Correct. And, and it is a father figure in both of these. I'm okay with him being typecast in this way. No, that's fine. <laughs> I'm I'm into it. Uh, Pedro Pascal has been doing a lot for a long time. He was everyone, probably the best thing about 1984. Yeah, and everyone forgets like like how long ago the first season of Narcos came out. Like he's been doing. Some I've been wanting to see work. that. I've heard that's really good. It is an excellent show if you like the genre yeah. and you like the subject matter. It's yeah. the probably the best thing that's been made on the subject. Wow. Um, it's really good. But yeah, like it, Pedro Pascal has been just doing the most lately and I'm, I'm here Did for it. Did you know that him and Mark Ruffalo like have like a bromance? I love that. I saw it on Twitter today. Like, oh, man. Like Mark Ruffalo was gushing about Pedro Pascal being cast. Uh-huh. And Oh, he's like yeah, his he's, buddy. <laughs> yeah, and, and like Pedro just came in and he's like, he's like, you're my king. And I was like, I am fucking here for this. This yeah. is the fucking content I come on Twitter for. Yeah. This, we wouldn't have had this kind of content a year ago when other people, certain individuals who remained nameless were still on Twitter. Yeah. But no, now we get Pedro Pascal and Mark Ruffalo just being buddies on Twitter. Didn't Pedro Pascal, and I don't know how long ago this was, didn't he come out in support of his trans sister very yes, recently? Very yeah. recently, yes. Okay. Yeah, that was a, or at least we got the story about it. Right. Yeah. I actually had it, this idea in my head that she came to him and she was like, my brother, I want to tell you something. Mm-hmm. And she starts to talk to him, and he's just like, so what you're saying is that life is good, <laughs> but it could be better. And it's like, my, that went into my head. I wanted to post it on Twitter, but I'm like, I don't want, like, it's funny to me, but I don't want somebody to, like, find it offensive. Right. <laughs> because, yeah. like, I really do mean it with, like, honest intent. That, that he would just love her so much to just be like, so life is good now, but it could be better. I'm going to meme. Let's do it. <laughs> like, it would be funny. so good. Exactly. <sighs> All right. If you're one of the few people using the streaming service Crackle on March, March 1st, uh, a Nintendo docu- a documentary narrated by Sean Austin will be um, coming out. 
And it's going to include Nintendo former president Reggie, head of Xbox Phil Spencer. Uh, some of the other guests that they're going to have on will include Will Wheaton and uh, Tom Kalinske, who was the CEO of Sega of America during the con when the console wars happened. Ooh. Um, and the documentary is going to be called Playing With Power. And it's basically just going to be purely about Nintendo, the rise of Nintendo, going uh, briefly over the console wars. Um, and also with people like Will Wheaton coming in, they're going to be talking about like just how has Nintendo changed the world in general. Dude, yeah. I mean, we need that. We've needed it for a long time. I've been secretly hoping since the first season came out that we were going to get a, a toys that made a season just about Nintendo. You know, like that would be fucking yeah. great. Yeah, that would be absolutely But But if, if this is like if, that, yeah, then, then yeah, then we're good. I, I will totally install Crackle on my Roku for a day. <laughs> Watch that and then uninstall it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, let's see here. Brooklyn Nine-Nine will be coming to an end next season uh, with only ten, 10 episodes in the season. Mm -hmm. The executive producer, Dan Gore, said when we first pitched the show, uh, we actually said that we wanted to tell the episode or the, the story over 153 episodes. Um, exactly. Mm. 153 exactly that. That exact number of shows. Um, he went mm -hmm. on to say, uh, this is a quote from him. I feel incredibly lucky to have worked with this amazing cast and crew for eight seasons. They are not only among the most talented people in the business, they are all good human beings who have become a family. But most of all, I feel lucky that we've had the best fans in the world. Fans who have literally saved us from cancellation. Fans who fill us with joy. Ending the show is a difficult decision, but ultimately we felt it was the best way to honor the characters, the story, and our viewers. I know some people will be disappointed that it's ending so soon, but honestly, that I'm, I am grateful that it lasted this long. Title of my sex tape. <laughs> Love the ending that he threw in there. Yeah. Um, There's a reason why I had to quote it. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. this is too <laughs> good. When I read that, I was like, mm, that is a great mm. sign-off. Uh, it's... Sucks that the show's ending, but I can kind of see why they might not want to make a cop show anymore. Yeah, yeah. there are. I mean, there yeah. the show is good enough that it like eked its way into the zeitgeist. Yeah, and at this point, we're all sitting here like, but cops aren't like this. Yeah, at all anywhere ever. Most cops are like they are in the shield. <laughs> yeah, well, that was one of the questions that kind of came up. That was that was kind of a point of contention and. That was that when there was a lot of things that were going on last year, mm -hmm. people were going, we really, really love Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but is this a show that we can have on the air right now? Yeah. I believe we actually talked about that at one point during last year. Yeah. It was like, cool cop shows, because I was like, how the fuck is The Rookie going to justify right. its existence? How is right. Brooklyn Nine-Nine mm -hmm. going to justify its existence right. in the world? We did talk about this this summer. I remember it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. So we have to at least talk about some sad news this week. Yeah. Or weird news. And that is that Cyberpunk developer CD Projekt Red was hacked this week. Mm -hmm. The hacker sto stole code for The Witcher 3, Gwent, Cyberpunk, and an unreleased version of The Witcher 3. Uh, CDPR said that they would not negotiate with the hacker, who uh, confirmed later in the week to have sold all of that data to another party. Okay. There's a lot to unpack here about this, though, when you really think about it, because... Mm -hmm. Yes, people have been upset at CDPR for what has happened with Cyberpunk, mm -hmm. but there's just some there's some shit you just don't do. Oh no, a thousand percent! Like, yeah, this it's, is, look, it's, it's one look. I, it's ex <laughs> here's here, here here's exactly the same scenario. Action um, movie level. What the fuck? If <laughs> if Anthem came out and like I was disappointed because I really wanted Anthem to be good. Mm -hmm. 
So I broke into EA's offices and took a bunch of really important shit to them and then sold it to someone else. I'd be a piece of shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm mad they made a thing I don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they made that thing. And then I just decided to like steal some shit from them because I don't like their thing. Yeah. Like, this is nonsense. This is not how we do things. Right. Yeah, just because you're mad about this it a makes, thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. so confused by this even happening as a series right. of events. But, but yeah. my, my <laughs> thing is, what does CDPR have to lose... It's like, hey, we stole a bunch of source code for Cyberpunk and The Witcher so 3, and it's like, those was, games so, are so out. It, it wasn't just those things. They did get some internal documents as mm-hmm. well. Um, they, I read it kind of over, it's literally a notepad file that was mm-hmm. left for them. And by the way, it started with, like, you've been pwned, and I was like, Jesus, did this hacker come out from, like, the late 90s? Yeah, I was going to say, that hacker is exactly <laughs> 37 years old. <laughs> right. <laughs> and... I was like, okay, well, that's weird. And then it just kind of goes on to say, like, oh, you know, we've got this data and this data. And so the entire point of the hack was to try and um, kind of berate CDPR. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to release this information because it's going to hurt your um, your stocks even more than they're already hurting. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt the people's perception of you in the media and all of these things. And so um, <laughs> CDPR did have to put out a statement saying, like, right. hey, to all of our former employees, from what we can tell. They didn't get any personal data from our employees. This was purely like these certain things that they got. Mm-hmm. Um, so people's personal data wasn't jeopardized as far as they've announced. Um, but still, either way, like how petty can you fucking be at yeah, that point? Yeah, like insult to injury. Like CDPR has already has you know taken it on the nose for a lot of this. It's not like they're sitting there wildly successful sipping champagne with like the ruins of C, uh, you know cyberpunk you know around them. Right. They're trying to fix what happened, and they you know and yeah they took stock hits. They took definitely took goodwill hits. They, oh they yeah, took, definitely. Yeah. Like uh, they were my number one studio. Now I'm like I'm oh, yeah. really gonna have listen, to wait for a review li- before yeah, the next listen game. Listen to to how we, we talked about CDPR not six months ago. Yeah. And listen to how we talk about them now. Yeah, exactly. So Once, like not this, just because the game was bad, but also how they started treating their employees. Right. And everything else has come to life. So saying that like give us a ton of money or we're gonna do this harder is kind of like. Like beating the shit out of someone and then being like, no, give me a bunch of money or I'll beat you up. Right. <laughs> like, dude. Just- yeah. And I mean, the, the thing of the matter is, is, is I don't know CDPR's internal tech group. Yeah. But a lot of places have cybersecurity insurance in place. Mm-hmm. They have a like number they can call when these kind of things happen. And for the most part, they tend not to give in to people, yeah. give, not given to terrorists, honestly, mm-hmm. yeah. that have Straight gone up. in and sold your shit. Corporate espionage uh, has always been a thing. And that's usually like two companies what a, fighting what a each other. But cyberpunk still. thing to happen well, to them? It is yeah. a very <laughs> cyberpunk thing to happen. That's what right. It's like this is action movie hacker shit. Like right. it doesn't make any fucking if, sense to me. If it was yeah. any more cyberpunk, the guy hacked them with a VR headset on. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. And, he, and when, he, when it happened, he was like, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Like, that was what he said. He said, I'm in. And then he just slammed a monster energy drink. <laughs> While the Blade techno scene played in the background. <laughs> while, while Prodigy plays in the background. Yep. Also, I'm just going to reference hackers for yeah. most of the time. And I there's someone behind him playing World of Warcraft. <laughs> right. And, yeah. Uh, so, in good news, uh, HBO Max has ordered an animated series for adults. I just want to specify that I, mm-hmm. I put the words in a not an certain, adult not series, series, right? But an animated series for adults that's called Velma, and it's going to be an origin story of sorts for the Scooby Doo character, and uh, Velma will be released, uh, be voiced by Mindy Kaling of Office fame, who, do, who does writing and, of course, was in the Office. Mm-hmm. 
um, there's a really great response, by the way, where somebody posted something negative about her being cast as the voice of Velma, mm. and they used the um, clip from The Office where Michael Scott screams no, mm-hmm. and she actually like <laughs> saw the tweet and replied. Yeah, so just so you know, I wrote that episode of The Office. <laughs> no I was shit. like, oh my god. Fucking pizzoned. Burned. In the name of hackers. <laughs> right. <laughs> just holy shit. So it, me and my friends have been joking about this concept like all week. Because it was like, when you first read the headlines for this, it's just like HBO producing adult animated series of Velma from Scooby-Doo. And we're all like, is this what the only reference I have mm. for this is a thousand sexy cosplay pictures of <laughs> Velma. Like this, like I don't know what this series could possibly be about. Because to be fair, the only thing I can imagine Velma yep. doing outside the context of Stooby Doo is taking off her sweater. <laughs> so, like, I hope this is a good show, and that that please don't read that as sexist. That's just all I've seen <laughs> her do de- outside of Scooby Doo, <laughs> and it's on the internet. But like, I, I, Reddit's destroyed our brains. Yeah. that's exactly where my brain went to. I was like, <laughs> right. oh, I've seen that subreddit. Yeah, it's on my. Followers. I'm to be sure. sure she is a fan favorite character. When people talk about Scooby Doo, just like, in, even in a non-sexual way, mm-hmm. when people talk about Scooby Doo in a non-sexual way, and they say who's your favorite character, a lot of people say Velma. They're just like, they're yeah. like yeah, she's the smart one of the group. She's the one that figures things out. Like, yeah. Yeah. we like Velma. Yeah. So like, her getting her own show, I'm like, fucking do it. I just didn't watch enough Scooby Doo to know what kind of character she is. All I, I honestly, know is that Shaggy's a stoner and the dog's probably high too. I don't know anything else about the show. <laughs> you did not grow up with Scooby Doo. Like I did not. I yeah. did not. I, I grew was, up with the Ninja Turtles. Yep, understandable. <laughs> um, but I'm excited for this just because if they can bring the treatment to Velma like they did with the DC Harley Quinn show, mm-hmm. that shit's going to be good. I love the DC Harley Quinn show. Yeah. So yes, I didn't think I was going to like that. it and then I sat down and watched it I'm like, this is actually a really intelligently written like it's very a, fun. So you didn't watch the Matthew Lillard, Sarah Michelle Geller. Lord, no. I was oh, way I too pretentious to watch those You have to watch that movie. It's so good. It's so good. And like that's gonna be a hard sell. You don't have time to sell me this movie right now. He's, <laughs> he's going to be like. What? You know that He's fucking like, meme. Smoke this, and then we'll watch Scooby Doo, and you'll be like, yes. That's, I feel like that was how the cartoon went too, though. <laughs> That is very, very true. Okay. Uh, eat this. <laughs> also in the news, Ubisoft has said this week that it is moving away from a reliance on AAA games. The quote is, <laughs> brace yourself for this. I'm ready. My body is ready. In fiscal 2022, we will continue our evolution from a AAA release-centric model towards a model where AAA stands alongside new premium and free-to-play innovative experience across platforms. These diverse experiences will feed on each other through complementary gameplay and business models. Okay, now that I've gotten the PR thing out of the way, let me translate what I just said. Right, so instead of releasing these big expensive games that might flop, we're going to make a bunch of shitty games and just load the fuck out of them with microtransactions. Everything we can possibly do. You thought that the Marvel game was rough with the, like, season pass per character? How about season passes per, like, item (laughs) item grid? You know? (laughs) 
How would you like a season pass for oh, your season Oh, you can only play for passes? five minutes until you pay us more tokens. Right. You know what we need to popularize on PC and console? Those shitty phone games that make you wait between turns unless you buy more turns. Brooklyn in chat says Assassin's Creed Cash or Credit Edition. And the thing was, and I don't think I ever got to say this, but if I did, I'm sorry I'm repeating myself. The thing about that Marvel game that they released for console is that it was designed like a phone game. Mm-hmm. It was a bunch of, it was really dog shit gameplay on top of a bunch of my microtransactions that did nothing to the game and just kind of padded out your stats for no reason. This is mobile gaming shit. PC gaming players are not interested in this bullshit. Ubisoft, this will be the end of you. Mm-hmm. You were already on your way out. I mean, well, I mean, with all the sexual harassment claims well, and yeah, the and workplace violence. Oh my god, I can't wait till Microsoft buys both of them. There's that, but also like they they fucked up the Viking Assassin's Creed. <laughs> like, like now I, I don't even want them to make it one from Japan anymore. I think it'll suck. Well, we already got the game from Sucker Punch, so we're oh there. yeah, no, and we got the game from Sucker Punch that was so good. Developers in Japan got angry that they didn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's so ridiculous. Yeah, I read this and I was just like, holy fucking shit, Ubisoft. You literally just said microtransactions and everything. Like, if you Mm -hmm. don't think Ubisoft is a bad company at this point, they're... Like, maybe we'll get, uh, you know, fewer Assassin's Creeds and we'll obviously never, ever see that... uh, I think that what we will see is we will see see Assassin's Creed, which will probably have microtransactions in it. Mm -hmm. We will see Far Cry... That would be a rough sell to get microtransactions in, but mm-hmm. it's possible. Um, but we will start seeing them focus mostly on markets in which they can do things like free-to-play games with loot boxes and now, predatory practices. Th- it, it, here's the only positive thing I have to say in this vein. And Brooklyn just mentioned it. There's some Rainbow Six project. Because Rainbow Six Seeds did end up being free-to-play. It did end up being a good game. And um, regardless of any of the microtransactions that you can ignore, I mean, it's a popular game. Less so. Kids love the fuck out of that game. Actually. Yeah. Like, it's really popular. And Just it's actually. We don't play it, and I know, like, my nephews mm-hmm. play the fuck out of this game. Right. right. And, I'll, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you, from a streaming perspective, it's one of the few streaming games that's actually very fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's designed to be shown that way. Right. Um, to a lesser extent, For Honor. For Honor was a very fun game to play. And when it went to the masses, it was too far gone and they had stopped advertising it. I but played it and it was actually fun. That was a fun game. That was a cool game. And when they finally like fixed it up and polished Honestly, it up, Honestly, I would it was have nice. loved to have seen just a single player campaign for For Honor. Yeah, that like, would have I been played, great. Like, playing it, I, the, the entire time I was playing For Honor, I was thinking... God, I'd love to see this like a Shadow of Mordor kind of fucking thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and th- they did some really great stuff with that game. Mm-hmm. If we're going to get games like For Honor and Rainbow Six Siege, and they're just going to support them for a couple years instead of trying to release one every year, neat. Okay, I'm fine with that. If you're going to crank out a whole bunch of shit like that horrible Avengers game, which I know you didn't do, but still. Well, they also did things like The Division. They also did things like Division. And both Imagine Division turned into the mobile version of The Division. Right, yeah. And The Division had, like, very little substance and was mostly fun for on, on the theme and the face of it. So, yeah, right. I can't see this going anywhere good. And... I, I, I'm I'm starting to lose faith in just about every AAA company. And the reason for that is, is so few are making the right decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll, I'll say it again. I know we said it at the end of 2020, but more games need to be, more game companies need to be super giant. If you all adopt that model, I promise you quality work that people love will come out of it. 
Right. Just do that. But I mean, we were talking about Ubisoft, a studio, which I've listened to my friends say how excited they were for the next Assassin's Creed or the next Division game or whatever. And yet at the same time, this is the same company that we're hearing, you know, there's all these uh, sexual assault allegations come out of. Yeah. All of these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, abuse allegations of this Sexual company. assault allegations, but also um, suggestions that the company worked to hide the allegations from the public, literally moving people around Catholic church style. Right. Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck that. Ubisoft went from, oh, we didn't immediately fire the sexual harasser to, no, we actively protected him. Right. Think about mm-hmm. this. In the last five years, five years ago, One's, Ubisoft, both bad. we made fun of Ubisoft because we were like, oh, we're going to get another Assassin's Creed game this year. And that was just the butt of the joke. Right. Now we're five years in and we're like, oh, who's going to be called out for the fact they were a sexual assaulter at Ubisoft yep. now? Mm-hmm. Like. Yep. Come on. At Whose some turn point, is it? At some point, we need to vote with our wallets and say we're not supporting a company that has that kind of culture. Yeah, straight up. <sighs> we thought the microtransactions were bad. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, after a decade of being canceled, Konami's shooter Six Days in Fallujah is going to be resurrected or is being resurrected and rebuilt. The game was an attempt to tell a realistic story about the war in Iraq Mm -hmm. based on experiences from soldiers that were there. When the game was first announced, it was all over the media. It was pulled for being way too controversial. Right. Too soon. The studio that will be working on the new version of it is going to be not Konami, but uh, a newer studio called uh, Victura Studios. Uh, Members of the studio include some former Bungie developers. Um, in the press statement that they came out with this week, they said that Six Days in Fallujah aims to be the most authentic mil- military shooter to date and to tell these military and civilian stories with the integrity that they deserve. Um, and it was announced that it's going to release later this year. This oh. is so interesting. I'm- I love the idea of a American military game that does not paint the American military in a flattering light. Um, something very, very much like, uh, oh, I just lost the name. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, God, fucking damn it. I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can't think of a game, but, but I, I know, think I know the is, game you're talking about. You know about. the game I'm talking this about. This is so contrary to the way films are done, because if you want to have a tank or any of these things in it, you have to go to the U.S. military, and the only way you're allowed to use them is if you use them within a positive light. Yeah. Right? So I, I'm of Give two, Video games, I can I, make a... Right. If we want so, to tell the true stories. <laughs> so I'm of two minds about this. I, I, I am split down the middle about this. Um, and this is because when Six Days in Fallujah was initially canceled, I was definitely one of those people that said, hey, fuck you guys in the media. We deserve to have these mature stories about war being told and to, to, to have it accurately represented on screen. So I'm still of that mind. Mm-hmm. But also, and this is personal biased, um, now having somebody in my immediate vicinity as somebody uh, with somebody who went through that, mm-hmm. um, I worry a little bit because I'm like, oh man, I really do hope they get this right because I've seen what that fight did to that person. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, the um, game. Oh, sorry, you were still yeah, going. No, no, it, it, it just that was the one thing, and I'm like, I actually do want it very. I want it represented accurately because I now know what this immediate person in my life has gone through and. It fucked them up. Yeah. Uh, the game is Spec Ops The Line. It's yes. the, the only uh, other military game I've ever seen that took, you know, 
soldiers and the people who were commanding them and were like, yeah, this this wasn't nice. This wasn't justified. This wasn't a good thing. This is a bad thing. They don't even belong there. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Um, this wasn't you know, the opening of, uh, was it Battlefront? So on and so forth. Where, yeah. mm-hmm. where the, you get the patriotism and you want to feel that in that case because it, mm-hmm. fighting Nazis. Right. right. And, it just and, wasn't right. fighting Nazis. And, and, and the, uh, the, the great part about Spec Ops Line is it starts as just a standard military shooter and then it, it, it slowly re, you slowly realize like how fucked up everything is getting, mm-hmm. right? And I, oh man, like to have this done in a more realistic way with a realistic setting and like, like and getting to learn these I think personal this could stories. Be very, I think this could be big. I think this could be very cool. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I hope so. I think telling these personal stories and getting it as accurate as they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of the, at things, the story one, element. They one really the pushed things, that, that. They're like, we need to tell these stories. Right. So one of the things that I that really I pulled from the quote that I guess other people haven't really thought about is that the quote here, he says, all right, Six Days in Fallujah aims to be the most authentic military shooter to date until the story of the military mm-hmm. and civilian stories. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I was saying. It's the that story. second one. Yeah. yeah. It's military we've done a million times. Oh, for sure. But knowing what happened over there with the civilians, mm-hmm. having to experience that, like, I can't imagine. Because, I, holy fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fuck, the, the story of the, there's a translator. We, there was a... Um, Episode of last week tonight talked about him a, a bunch. Uh-huh. Um, I, sorry, I can't remember the name off the top of my head because it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, but like, that story, it was just like this is one of the stories that came out of that. And you're just like, holy shit, I can't believe what the fuck this is going on. Mm-hmm. And it's a real life story. And getting to experience something, anything similar to that in any form in, in a video game, that's when the video games, games, if done correctly, surpass. They go into art work as right. it's documentary almost to a degree sure. what you're yeah. showing, mm-hmm. and I think that that's something that video games and they are going to be telling the story. Yet. They are telling the story based on they actually have been interviewing mm-hmm. people from the military yeah. who were there in Fallujah and said, "We need you to tell us the story, and we need you to be just no holes barred. Tell yeah. us the story. We need to accurately represent what happened over there." Mm. And that's a big ask. And I know that we uh, always talk on the show about this idea of video games transcending and becoming art and things mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a fucking litmus test yeah. for video games. Honestly, there should be there's there once the game is done there needs to be a director's cut edition thing just where you play the game again because they did this with Portal where you just hear people talk over yeah. the game as you play it except for have it be all the soldiers and the people they interviewed talking about specifically what those ha- happened while you're right. going through it and you're just like yeah. oh cool I'm just probably gonna not be okay for a while right like, yeah. that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah um and there is there is controversy, right? And this is something that we maybe oh, need to break sure. into a boss room at some point. Is you know what is it like to gamify a real life event? Yeah, what in is such a way, putting a VR right? headset and experiencing someone else's actions? Right. And I think that's a that's a topic for a, a boss room at mm-hmm. some point, actually, for us to really dive into that because like talking about the morality of replaying actual events that happen is tough, right? Because what's the line between that and For saying sure. like, oh, well, we're going to make you be a Nazi soldier and you get to commit atrocities. Right. At what point are you endorsing the thing that you're having people emulate? Right. But at the same time, imagine the power, uh, the, the potential power of, you know, the way that we do documentary filmmaking performed in video games, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like true crime stuff. Right. Absolutely. All right. So last but not least this week, uh, Warner Brothers has patented their nemesis system from Shadow of Mordor. Now, this system 
uh, basically allowed NPCs to remember combat encounters with your hero mm -hmm. and then would procedurally generate content mm -hmm. around said encounters. Right. And it was hailed as one of the biggest innovations in gaming when it was mm -hmm. released. It was like, Still holy is. shit, this is one of the biggest things that ever happened in the gaming industry is the Nemesis system. Um, and for years, Warner Brothers has fought to patent the system. And mm -hmm. they finally were able to get the legalese right to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, now we should open up to the panel and talk about what that means for the world of video games. I, all right, so the thing that they created, the Nemesis system, is kind of like a groundbreaking AI-ish thing mm. that exists within that world. No, At least it's, not. Way, it's not, because that's what it feels like. It's, no, no, it's it, like it, an it feels like, like it learns. is. A, so, so let me describe nope, what's happening. So... Like, what they've done like, is they've created a uh, system in which the procedurally generated names of characters, are, of enemies, are assigned to that enemy. Every character gets a procedurally generated name. If you are killed by an enemy, that name locks to that character, they grow armor, and then they move after they've killed you. Or they stay oh. in the same place if you're going to assault the same place. Mm -hmm. If they kill you again, they get even stronger and they might move to a different place because now their general is one step higher. And the person who runs the place that you were assaulting, because there's a hierarchy there, right? There's grunts and then there's lieutenants and then there's, you know, commanders. Right. So if a lieutenant kills you, he gets to be commander and now he's further up in a base. And if, you know, a grunt kills you, he gets to be lieutenant and then the other lieutenant either dies or something else becomes a grunt. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The only thing that's unique leveling. System. Yeah. The only thing that's okay. happening is the, the, the only thing that's happening is the game is reacting to what you do and changing things based on that. Right. This is what they patented. And, and it like remembers dialogue, or it has right, dialogue right. that represents like, If the same guy kills you like three or four times, yeah, he's going to move multiple times, and he's going to be end up being one of the last guys you fight. But that's not whatever happens. Mm. And But it can happen. The potential is there. It is a very neat system. Do not get me wrong. But it is literally just the game reacting to the player and changing the outcome based on it. We've been doing that since RPGs were invented. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's just an enemy growing stronger based on the right. events that existed beforehand. It, it right. sounds but man, cool it's the, just way that they, enemy. the way they call it. And it's very cool yeah, to experience it. It's like, just the enemy's getting a leveling system. It's right, just but what every DM has been doing for ages. Right. But patenting game mm. mechanics is stupid. And yeah. like, just like to make the very first point is that game shadow of Mordor and shadow of war to follow it cribs everything from other games it's open world came from assassin's creed it's combat system came from the arkham series um the i mean that most of it came from, from assassin's creed and the theme came from tolkien like everything about that game is taken from another place and video games innovate constantly imagine if sucker punch had decided it wanted to patent having wind lead you around the map instead of little mini map breadcrumbs mm -hmm. like that was such a brilliant idea why would they fight to hold on to it i hope more games do that mm -hmm. second example the a game, I believe, a very long time ago, and I don't know all the history of it, patented the idea of having a mini game play, a playable game during a loading screen. Mm -hmm. And now that doesn't exist. Right. And this was 30 years ago, I think. Mm -hmm. It was a long fucking time ago. Imagine if 
every game company had had mini games playing through their loading screens since then. Imagine what that would have done for game storytelling or just gameplay in general. I mean, fucking Bloodborne could have used one, oh, especially God, yes. when it launched. And, and think about what somebody like From Software would do with a mini game like that, tying it into the game world, making it interesting. Yeah. There's so much cool shit you could do with that idea that is now gone forever because a company decided to patent it and never use it again. Just sit on that patent hoping to sue somebody. Right. And now we have that with one of the coolest gaming innovations we've gotten in the last 15 years. Thanks, fuckers. Yeah. The way you've explained it was not the way I understood it. So thank you for uh, explaining it so well. Um, It immediately made me think of Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Because it's a leveling system Mm -hmm. where if I'm going to take anybody through a game, Mm -hmm. cool, the enemies have to level up with you. And sometimes they run away and then they learn about who you are. And then their friends come after you because that's how a story works. Yeah. And a really good DM will do stuff like that and have a character run away and then show up later. That's all great. Yeah. Yeah, Um, That's awesome. Or they survived because your players can't hit for shit and they just, you made it, you want the game to end already. Yeah, and I mean, (laughs) we know these tropes from TV shows. They fell off a cliff, oh, but they survived. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. We get that. And I agree with the being able to copyright a thing in that Dungeons and Dragons or any RPG system is able to copyright its RPG system. Mm -hmm. If they are counting this as their RPG system and that's the way they're toting it mm-hmm. cool yeah they can't stop me from making something similar that functions differently right finder yeah well pathfinder specifically was built on the open license and the light that Got was it. because the right. licensing right. they actually opened it up with the d20 system right. because people for years everybody got stuck behind the well it's not dungeons and dragons and dungeons and dragons wouldn't let anybody make anything for their shit so everybody was coming with their home ideas right. and they had nowhere to go because the internet didn't exist yet right, right. Yeah, so I mean, eventually Pathfinder <laughs> happened. Right. <laughs> so, so the, the, the patenting video game mechanics is uh, to use a uh, a point Jim Sterling made is a lot like a painter patenting certain brush strokes or colors. It is bad for everybody. It's really stupid, and you shouldn't do it. No, no, no matter what the precedent is, no matter if someone's done it before and they're not the first to do it, no matter if it just makes good business or legal sense, mm-hmm. it's fucking bad for everyone. And stop it. Yeah. What an are artist you doing? That owns the blackest black. Yeah, and that's dumb as fuck. He owns the chemical whole thing process. Yeah. And, and if I mix it and paint to, something with it and sell it for a ton of money, you can't even get it from him. You have to pay him to be able to even have access to the. There's thing no at way all. that no one else on earth can make this. That is impossible. There's no way this artist has access it would cost to something. The, the, the amount you would have to spend to remake the thing cool. versus getting it from him would be arbitrary. Happens would, would, all the time in Hollywood. Doesn't matter. Imagine if Hollywood it's patented very hard stunts to do. for movies. Okay. I'm just saying what if, if Tarantino patented feet shots? What if what if the Matrix, what, what if the Wachowski sisters literally owned... Shot specifically. That's actually the thing he's known for, oh, okay. is specifically the trunk shot. Okay. Right, right. Like, I mean... It's the one thing he's actually known for, specifically shot-wise, is the <laughs> trunk shot. How if, did you... If the Wachowskis patented bullet time, what? Yeah. Like, come on. You'd never have Max Payne. It's stupid. Steven Spielberg patents dinosaurs now? Like, like come <laughs> on now. These are literally just things that we use to tell stories and make our medium more interesting. And in video games, it's mechanics. Think about how many mechanics the Mario franchise could patent. 
Oh, absolutely. And just no other video games would ever be made. Imagine if Rockstar patented the 3D open world from Grand Theft Auto 3. Like the real 3D open world that we got mm-hmm. for the very first time, kind of. That might not be accurate, but it's very close. Like, and then there was no Assassin's Creed. What are we doing? Stop you it. You just made some great points for why it's fine that they can copyright this. Because everybody's going to go, cool. So we're not going to actually use the thing you made. Mm-hmm. Because much like they took from Assassin's Creed and mm-hmm. all the other games, we're going to learn from that and go, okay, so we're just going to make a different system that's slightly better or it's slightly ours, and it's just yeah. going to... So, so both of so you fuck it. both of you can go here with me. Explain to me and so how... Sell, I mean, why wouldn't they want to sell it? They probably just want to sell it. Explain to me how the Nemesis system is different functionally from the dialogue in Hades. Depending on what you do... A character will give you certain dialogue right. and do certain things. And then later, they'll recall that thing. Right. No, that's, and might yeah. change their fun, behavior fun, based on that. Fundamentally the same system. Yeah. It's really just a series of if-then statements. Yeah. yeah. It, it, that's, 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 that's why we shouldn't patent game mechanics mm. for the same reason we shouldn't patent, like, you know, specific kinds of code. Right. Like, like if, if, if you patented the blocks of code that did things, Facebook would own the world and no one okay, else so would ever that's make one of those social shit media thing, I, All right. So this, it's patenting all this, like copyrights in general, capitalism is fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. Information should be free is what we what are the goal sure. would be. But they made a equational system thing for the way their characters level. And if they want other people to have access to that, if they want to resell it, mm-hmm. they need to have a way so nobody else can steal that exact thing from them. Sure. I get that they want to try and protect this. Yeah, but... It's if, um, but like, protecting your... Would, it, why no, would no, no, I see what it. you're saying here, and it does, it does make sense to try and protect it. I just but don't they, think that morally... The system is going to stagnate. The, yeah. the system will stagnate without innovation, and you won't have innovation without new people trying to do it. Well, so my my thing is though they didn't invent anything, yeah. Except right. for they, they, they creatively they, they, they patented made... the presentation of the thing, right? That already which is, existed, which is right. fine. I think there will be fallout from this that we there will, be a lot of will not hear about now, but will come up at some point mm-hmm. because. For, because remember what I said at the beginning of this article, which was that they've been fighting for years to patent this system, which means mm. for years they have not had a solid case. Mm-hmm. For years they've, fi- they've managed to get a lawyer who happened to get the certain legalese for them to say, okay, we can patent it. Mm-hmm. What is to say that when somebody else comes out with something similar and they go to court for it and they go, yeah, sorry, your legalese is literally these two words that specify the nemesis system. We did something else. We use a different function in our code. Right. Sorry. Yeah, no, and see, my thing is, and I know no one wants to do this because it's expensive, but if I were a AAA game producer right now, I would specifically make a game with exactly that in it and go to the Supreme Court and be like, please tell me we don't do this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or tell us we have to change our game and we'll change those two words. Right. One or the other. But here I am trying to tell my lawyer to explain to you why this is fucked and we shouldn't do it for yeah. the same reason for the same the reason directors <laughs> and di- for the same reason directors of photography don't patent camera shots yeah cuz that's dumb the only thing that like you patent cameras and camera systems 
you patent a camera. Yeah. You made a camera. Yeah. But if I use my camera and the zoom in slowly on your face, was patented because the it's device an was patented. Yeah. You're you not hearing me. Oh, no, that's what it's I'm, the agreeing shot. With you. I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying like there are elements that you can. Yes. As obviously, a cinematographer. Obviously, you cannot just make Mordor again. You can't just make the game and be like, lol, you can't patent a video game and just make and just release their this game is as yours. Door. It's a completely this different place. That's going to be my new game, Lestor. All right, that is everything we have for the news this week. we got to refresh our drinks. We're going to take a small break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to be going into a less heated debate in the boss room. Start it. Boss room. Hey, adventurers. Welcome back to the show. This is our boss room, our main talking point for the podcast. Sometimes related to the news, sometimes not. This episode has been a long time coming. You see, I'm someone who, while I have seen the Star Trek movies, has never really found himself wanting to watch anything else in the universe. Um, but I do happen to do this show with at least one self-proclaimed te- uh, Trekker, Tony. Uh, hi, and that's me. Hector is definitely super into Star Trek from what I can tell. The next generation specifically, but yes, very much so. So this week, I wanted to make a boss room challenge for them. I wanted to know what makes Star Trek so great and why I would want to give it a real shot. Now, I was a Star Wars guy growing up, and it's not like you can't enjoy both. I get that. Mm -hmm. I just never really got the core concept of Star Trek. So I'm going to stop rambling and get to the first real question for the panel here. Uh, And hopefully the audience enjoys this little fun demonstration that we're putting on. So, my earliest impression of Star Trek was Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future, Mm. which is very clean, everybody gets along, very uh, super utopian society. Now, maybe it's because I grew up with more, I don't know, cyberpunk fiction? Mm -hmm. Um, That's a lot of what I read and watched growing up. So, I felt that was the natural course the world would take. Uh, I was a dark kid, all right? Mm-hmm. I thought that was the natural course the world would take. And you're probably right. And I, while I applauded his idealism, I didn't think it was realistic at all. I mm-hmm. was reading things like Neuromancer, reading things like uh, you know anything that Philip K. Dick put out. Right. So like that was my vision of the future. It's like, oh, we're, we're all fucked, and that's where we are. Mm-hmm. But I was also like a tiny goth kid, so I mean, it is what it is. But we, when we talk about Star Trek, I think about Gene Roddenberry's like, utopian vision for the future, and that's why I was turned off to it. Mm-hmm. It's Gene's idealism is always reflected within Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Um, That is something that has to be there and is sadly not been there in recent stuff, but that's a different subject. Mm -hmm. The utopian society of Star Trek isn't utopian. You're seeing a society that is working together because it got to a point where it had to. Humanity got to a point where nearly killed itself and then also an alien species intervened. Mm -hmm. It got to the point where humans didn't have shit. Imagine like the Great Depression times like a thousand. Okay. Humanity, like the world was nearly evaporated because of the nuclear wars that were going on and shit. Mm -hmm. Um, World War III fucked everything up. Out of that scrappily made rockets, we were able to go to fucking space. Aliens were like, hey, and we're like, oh shit, maybe we should like be around each other and like, you know, not be assholes because Great. I'm just giving you like a, with a, like a history of Star <laughs> no, Trek real yeah. quick to explain why this utopian society we started as is it's us. But whenever we finally realize 
oh fuck, if we could, if we, if we had access to everything, we could finally be free. Mm-hmm. And society isn't meant to be. Oh, I want to go explore space because I'm going to get paid to go explore space. Because I want to explore space because I'm an engineer and I fucking like working on this ship and it's cool as fuck and I want to go do that. Yeah, and yeah, somebody else exactly. Is like, you know what? Yeah. I really fucking <laughs> like painting shit. And I'm going to go do that. Right. But there's also people who are like, I want to go be a religious zealot and try to blow shit up. And they're like, well, we have other people who like really want to be cops. So they're going to stop you from doing that. <laughs> like the world, the world has moved on and Earth is a great place, but bad problems still exist. Right. Humanity is still humanity. Plus now other species that have their issues. It's, Right, Hector. I was just waiting for you to be done so that I could do mine. Groundworking Star Trek. You've seen First Contact, specifically while I'm while I'm addressing what Tony is talking about. You've seen First Contact, right? Which means that you've seen the invention of the warp drive, right? And the fact that when humans invented the warp drive, Vulcans decided to reach out to them because that's what the Federation does. They reach out to planets that have finally discovered how to travel in interstellar space because we know that if we just let any any whatever species go out into interstellar space, having never met anyone before, shit's going to go downhill real fucking fast. So what we do is as soon as we figure out they have this technology, we go and visit them. We visit their leaders and they're like, so y'all, there's a lot of us. Sorry for my face. I know it's different from yours, but... You're going to need to get used to this if y'all are going that way. So <laughs> One here's, he, here's what we do. Here's what the Federation is. Would you like to join? And they say yes or no. And literally, if they say no, if they say leave and never come back, we'll be like, cool, bye. We will literally mark for the entire Federation. We're out skis. We're never coming back. If you want us to come back in a generation when people are more ready, we can do that. Just know that... If you do go out there and start shit, I've got a lot of guns on my ship. <laughs> right. So the, the thing about, yes, Gene Roddenberry's Utopia. Okay. So uh, it's the next generation specifically, right? The appeal isn't that you're on Earth. Very little to no Star Trek happens on Earth because that's not any fun. They're, the Utopia is there because humans are part of the Federation, a federation of planets and systems and peoples that have decided to work together to continue to explore the galaxy, to share technology, to share mm. everything that they can, mm. and to work together because there is strength when you have a ship captained by obviously men and women versus just men, mm. and then obviously different races versus just white people, and then obviously, especially if you have contact with them, different species of sentient life. And I mean every kind of sentient life, from actual parasites that live inside other beings to the very first sentient android that it demonstrates very clear not just passing the turing test but doing laps around most humans when it comes to the turing test Mm -hmm. um this is the thing that the things that the federation respects and when you watch especially the next generation it explains to you why it respects them Mm -hmm. more than anything else and that's what the show is. Like I said, very little of it happens on Earth. It happens on the edges of civilization because when you do get out into the space, even as the Federation, sometimes you run into Romulans and Romulans don't dig you. Mm-hmm. And they have their own planets that they've been colonizing because no one went to go meet them when they discovered warp travel. Mm-hmm. 
So they, you know, have colonized a bunch of planets. They've eradicated the life on those planets and filled them with Romulans. They've taken resources. They've done all the kinds of shit that we're not okay with when we're out in space. That's why the Federation is at war with Romulus. That's why there's all this upheaval. If you go all the way back to the first Star Trek, we were at war with the Klingons for the same reason. It took forever to establish peace with the Klingons. Mm -hmm. It's about being on the frontier, but it's not a cowboy thing where you meet Indians and you're like, oh, they're going to attack me. I need to shoot them to defend myself or I need the land they're on, which is actually more historically accurate. Right. Instead, imagine if these cowboys met the Native Americans, and were like, oh, what are y'all all about? And they were like, oh, we're about this and this. Like, they really tried to be. Here's our towns. Here's our cities. Here's our civilization. Actual anthropology. Here's what our rules are. And then they absorbed the best parts mm -hmm. about each other, and everyone just fucking chilled. Mm -hmm. That's what Star Trek is trying to be. That's what the Federation is trying to be. And watching them try and fail so often because other people are stubborn and just being, frankly, human is really fascinating because we, for once, without any pretense, get to pretend to be the good guys. Mm. Get to go out there and greet people with understanding and with love and with empathy, no matter how weird they are, no matter how insane things get, because that's what sentient conscious creatures deserve. Anything capable of suffering deserves empathy. And anything that can think for itself and contemplate in its own existence, we need to try to communicate with it. One of the most famous episodes of The Next Generation is called Darmok. And there are t-shirts with this on it. Oh. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra is, a, is a, a, an explanation the, of a way when the walls fell. Is a way of, of, of uh, uh, communication that a species they ran into has. Where literally everything they say to each other is a reference to an event in their um, mythology. And they communicate with you if you fail by talking about a failure. And it's all very short, concise, sen concise sentences because they all know the stories. So it takes, it, it doesn't go through a universal translator. It, nothing can interpret it. And the, that group of aliens literally kidnaps the captain of the Enterprise and puts him on a planet with their captain so that they can learn to communicate. And there's a whole episode around them just trying to figure each other out. And it's wonderful. And a lot of Star Trek is like that. It's very high-minded. There are no laser swords. All of the action is, frankly, um, subpar even at the time, especially when you compare it to anything like Star Wars. Because, you know, the, the action isn't the point. The adventure is the point. The discovery is the point. And my favorite thing about the captain of the Enterprise, Jean-Luc Picard, in Star Trek The Next Generation is that the thing that really gets him, he has a lot of flaws as a, as a captain, as a character, what really gets him excited, the thing that he geeks out about, the thing that he loves to do, is discover new life and try and talk to it. And fuck, I love that. And the only well, way that's an possible, anthropologist. Yes, he's an anthropologist. And the, the, the only he's way that that the is possible. Of a ship. <laughs> yeah. The only way that any of that is possible with all of the characters on the Enterprise is because of the Federation. It's because of the Utopia. Mm -hmm. We don't live in it because that would be boring. We are a product of it discovering everything else. And that's really fun. And in a lot of and a lot of times it's really beautiful. The Enterprise as the ship like that it was it came from i don't know the 
name of I can't remember the history of the the boat one, but within Star Trek um, and within NASA, it's supposed to only be science vessels are now mm-hmm. named after. They're okay. not they're not ships of war, even though they do have to defend themselves. The weapons are only meant for defense. Mm-hmm. These ships are meant to be just go out in space and be like, "What's that cloud?" Right. Okay. Uh, uh, it's it's water. Right. Like, right. They're meant to literally go find that shit right. out. Like, so my next, my, my next question was kind of pointed, <laughs> and then things happen. I guess pointed a little bit more towards Tony because mm-hmm. I have a vague point of reference from the earlier Star Trek movies. Um, obviously, the, the Captain Kirk era, mm-hmm. obviously, um, and then there's the Next Generation movies, and then the newer stuff. Um, how do you feel like the series has changed and evolved over the years um, from where it started back in the? 60s ish, I, I well, yeah, re- with Gene's original yeah, mm, Star Trek. Um, my memory of Star Trek, like the original series, yeah. is rough because there's certain episodes that I totally like remember, and then a lot of it I just know I'm not a person who really gave a shit, honestly, about the mm. original series because it wasn't it was mine. before we were born, it was yeah. over before I've we watched, were born. Yeah. I watched it on reruns a few times. Mm-hmm. But I never really cared because I like Next Generation. I mean, when um, we were kids; they were literally I watched the movies a bunch. Yeah, they, they were showing yeah. the final, the the final uh, first generation uh, Star Trek movies are coming out when we were kids, mm-hmm. right? They, they were just starting to meld with the Next Generation because never forget the Next Generation finished airing its last season in 1993. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, the show was that was over at that point. But it, but the, not only the show itself. The show has to have evolved, right? Because yeah. the okay, very so, campy, very silly yeah, Star the, Trek that we knew from back obviously then. Obviously, because the way the filming in 1960s, it's filming in 1960s. You have the ability to make things and envision the future from sure, the 1960s. Yeah. Right. The show not only just evolved set-wise, mm-hmm. but it was revolutionary in what it, who it put on screen. Right, yeah. Let's <laughs> forget, we had fucking... Bonkers! Literally, our first interracial <laughs> kiss on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, not not the next generation. The original series right. on television. That the fact that there was a black person on the bridge at all was mind-boggling to people. Much less the Asian that was there. Like what was and that a about? Russian during? Oh yeah, the the Russian because <laughs> be, because we're all humans and humanity got a shit together. Right. Yeah. So and the, this this multi-ethnic cast was just mind blowing then. And Gene really was trying to advance the medium as much as he could. Right. Yeah, but then, then it evolves from the very <laughs> campy, uh, serialized 1960s to, in the my mind, the next, next generation, generation, which um, seems to be the definitive. Yeah, the next generation next is, I literally have a word say, next gen DS9 Voyager, best 90s Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And then Harry Kim is the nicest boy mm-hmm. because Voyager is something we'll get to later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, there's a big difference between the yeah. original and what happened with the next generation. Because oh yeah, the original ship they actually kind of describe uh, this is kind of actually the plot of the stories. <laughs> um, in that the original ship was only like on a three year mission. <laughs> it just and in its timeline, it went out and did some stuff. It met uh, some Andorians. Mm. Met some had yep. dealt with the war of the Klingons. Yeah, fought a lot of Klingons. Yeah. It's it, it established the universe <laughs> and. Next Generation was able to explore that in that we were able to jump, like, was it 150 yeah, years? Yeah, it, it was, I believe it was over 100 years. Yeah, it's, it's over 100 years into the future mm-hmm. from 
that point in the future. Right. So when you think about the Starship, the Enterprise, the original, that was technically the Enterprise B. Like, they all have a designation. They carry the same number, NCC-1701. The first one was B. That was the one Captain Kirk was on and Spock and all of them. There's a C somewhere in the middle. In the next generation, they are on the Enterprise D. And they drop that thing. They dropped they drop, they drop the <laughs> oh, yeah, D. Yeah, they, they, they dropped that D all over television for seven mm. solid Because, see, seasons. I thought Kirk was the one dropping the D all, all across You would it. think so, but Kirk... Kirk, Kirk I mean, had a way Kirk of fucks. Yeah, Kirk, Kirk absolutely fucks. But yeah. Kirk has a way of calling ramming speed when really we could just talk, and <laughs> it's a spaceship, and he's just like, D- just hit him with our ship, with their ship, just headbutt them. It's like we're in space, sir. Well, then who's the member of the, 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 the next generation that fucks? Then uh, that is Commander Riker. William Riker. He is number one. He is the second in command. He goes on away missions while the captain stays on the ship. There, one of them always Which has the to be it's on the ship. Supposed to be. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, the captain doesn't go on missions. That was a thing in the next generation because in the first one, the captain of this vessel with like a staff of hundreds is like, oh yeah, let me go to that planet and fuck around and almost die. Like every week, it's like, what do we do if you die? Does anyone else drive this thing? We're not really sure. But the next generation, they make all of that very clear. They make all the hierarchy very clear. They all wear their insignia on their uh, on their uh, lapels, and it's really easy to tell who's what based on those insignia. If you watch a couple of seasons, you'll get it just by looking at them. And you realize the chain of command, and they're always very good about talking about the chain of command. Not overtly, but when someone leaves the bridge, someone walks down and takes their place at their station. Always. There's always backups, and they always have the correct um, rank. Even to Listed the point of them. weird nerdy note that the ships actually have are triple redundant on every single system. Correct. And this is another point to what you talked about uh, when you're talking about Utopia, because we think of that, you know, all of these officers, these military officers, military in air quotes, um, are out exploring the system on the ship. Remember that the Enterprise D has a uh, n- over a thousand souls on board, and many of them are civilians. They belong to the Federation, but... They didn't want to stay on Earth and be safe. They can still get an education, have children, live and die on this home that is the Enterprise out on its mission to explore things forever. And they may decide to go back to Earth and do whatever they want there. Or they may decide they really like being out in space, even though sometimes they almost get blown up. But instead of safety, they would rather be out checking out how cool the rest of the universe is. Okay. And that's awesome. So you're, you're essentially saying that, that the u- utopian ideal that Gene Roddenberry proposed is once we, w- once we push that to the side and say, mm-hmm. as humanity, we all became utopian, mm-hmm. what happens afterwards? The thing that drives humanity to the stars and to take these risks mm-hmm. is we're, we're bored. Yeah, it's which literally, is a very, which well, is a very it's, it's literally changing it's safety for discovery. Bored, it's the finally, the freedom to be a species that doesn't want to kill each other. Right. Well, let, let's imagine like, like, for example, for like <laughs> if, if you took like a human's life and that human decides, I would very much like to get an education and grow up and like uh, Tony said, paint. It's like, we will give you everything you need to learn how to paint. We'll, you know, find you the best lessons from the best teachers all throughout human history. And now that we have access to the Federation, all throughout the history of everything, you will find things out, things about paint that humans never knew. You can be the best painter you want. Go for it. And some people say, well, 
if everything is so safe, what I really want is danger. What I really want is discovery. What I really want is to be the person who discovers a thing, not the person who learns a thing. Mm. And those people have a place to go. You know, some people really would love to trade everything they have for the security and safety of just being here and be taken care of, of living in a society without money and without expectations of you as a human being where you can just do what you want to do. And if you decide you want to contribute to society, fine. And if you decide you don't want to, you still have rights, you still have merit, you still uh, matter as a human being and are subject to the rules of being a human being. And we have so much in abundance because of our technology that we can just take care of you. And that's literally went from nothing at world war three like humanity did not almost was on the verge of extinction mm-hmm. to an event allowed us to surpass mm-hmm. what we were who right. what we are yeah in that the it's not just an economic system that right. humanity has to get past it's the idea that of it's- survival as getting to a point of survival to where we actually realize oh fuck we fucked up so bad it we have like to it, fix this. It seems like there was a point where humanity had to look at itself and say, yeah. we are actually equal. We are all human yep. beings. We're all and we going must, to die. We right. must band together at this point. Yeah. So I know that we've been waxing philosophical a little bit about uh, Star Trek, and I definitely have a lot more questions. To go. But um, if, somebody, if somebody in our audience was wanting to see Star Trek for the first time, mm-hmm. um, what would your recommendation be for, hey, do this to watch Star Trek? Uh, what, what would get you into it? You go first. Mm, Star Trek Lower see? Decks. Mm. At this point, based on existing stuff that is out there right now, watch Lower Decks. Fuck, watch so, Orville, then watch Lower Decks. <laughs> right. And then from there... So Star Trek Lower <laughs> Decks is the animated series that is... The life of the Average crew person. members of the lower decks of the ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The guys who just go like, oh, we, we have, when I said like we have triple redundancy of everything, mm-hmm. and you remember that ship that gets shot a lot? They have to replace a lot of fucking parts all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's these guys. It's right. the lower decks, but it's a cartoon, and it's funny, and it has some of the best jokes in Star Trek, and when, if you are into Star Trek, you'll laugh, and you'll just be like, holy fuck, I can't believe they just, that's so good. But right. it's still accessible to people but who haven't watched it. But it's super accessible to the point where it's meant for uh, high kids that are like 17 to watch. But you brought a really good point <laughs> up, though. You were like, where do I get into Star Trek? And you're like, the Orville. Yeah. The Orville took what we loved about the original series, mm-hmm. the kind of ridiculousness, the exploration for like for exploration's sake on that front and then brought in next generations atmosphere character growth world development okay. exploration of like the universe and then it Seth MacFarlane in the fuck out of it right. he really just took star trek as an idea mm-hmm. and just Seth MacFarlane it <laughs> yeah it's fucking great <laughs> yeah it, it's a modern show and it would be very interesting to get into um, as a modern show, if I really wanted someone to just see what I saw in Star Trek, if I thought they couldn't jump right into one of the shows that, mm. again, came out in the 90s and 80s, sure. yeah. um, because obviously there are, it's in four by three, the, the effects are silly, even though they've been upgraded. The upgrades actually do look really good. The upgrades by look, now, by nah, ten, five to ten yeah, years ago. The, the, they look good. <laughs> if I was going to tell someone to start Star Trek, though, I would probably just give them, uh, 
like an episode list from TNG because that's where I am. I never saw Deep Space Nine. I never, never saw Voyager. Mm. I didn't continue any Star Trek after the next generation except for the movies um, because the movies are always accessible because they're designed to be. Um, I, I couldn't get him bored with another crew. And maybe maybe that's just me. Maybe it's because of how much I identify that show with my family and growing mm-hmm. up and watching it together. But the next generation is kind of where Star Trek starts and stops for me. Okay. You just mentioned the one point that I really, or one of the points I did want to make uh, mm. uh, for this was that when you watch Star Trek, mm-hmm. and if you just go through the series, um, wh- which, whichever one, Deep mm. Space Nine, Voyager, the original series, mm. whatever, you get a sense that this is a family. Mm. And this is something that I know you have recently watched with The, the Expanse. You specifically like they this last season fucking they couldn't made it more obvious the way the family systems work on these ships right and within star trek you get to see these families exist and how they function Mm -hmm. and then sometimes how they have to deal with things like a civil war and how they have to be on this side of it and how you got to be friends with these people and still work with them after the civil war is over Mm -hmm. that's literally the plot line of deep space nine uh (laughs) they kind of come in and were like uh peace and it's just existing after that. Right. It's fun. Then you have Voyager, a, a ship out of water story, literally thrown to a completely other galaxy. Mm-hmm. Can't even come home. It's take Star Trek and throw it into beyond what even anybody else could have. Just literally crazy space. Yeah. It, it seems like an entire series bait that would be a very, very good episode of Star Trek. But like you could expand on it forever. But the interesting thing about Voyager and Deep Space Nine. Uh, so while the... Next Generation had stories in kind of two to three episode arcs, mm-hmm. uh, mostly just one-off episodes. You could kind of just jump in wherever you wanted. Once you get into Deep Space Nine and specifically into Voyager, you're actually getting into uh, serial. Like the whole season is a, a, ah, a story arc. Okay. And that is something that at that time... Oh, it was very new. You did not do that on TV. What the fuck do you mean stories can go, take place over a whole... Characters can yeah. grow and have depth? Don't you, know, don't you know nobody's going to be able to watch this show at 8.30 on Tuesday every week for 12 weeks? What if they miss one? How are they going to see it again? Yeah. And you get that within Deep Space Nine and Voyager. You get that family. And you even get it within uh, uh, Next Generation. Mm. But you truly get to see like these ongoing stories that get to explore conflicts within humanity through the guise of alien species. And that has Mm -hmm. been there since Gene's original idea. Oh yeah. I get that. But his was more, um, excuse me. I'm sorry. That was a thank you in my culture. Mm. Um, that is more, what's that show you like black and white, um, morality tales. All Star Trek was originally just morality tale. Like, oh, oh like, right. It's, yeah. Talking about like Tales from the Crypt or Tales from the Dark Side? Or like um, Black Mirror or something like that? Older, yeah, whatever. Oh, the Twilight that, Zone? Yeah, Twilight Zone. That's oh, the yeah, words yeah, I couldn't Zone. fucking okay. remember. Thank you. Thank yeah, Twilight right. Zone. We got there eventually. Yeah. yeah. Um, all, was, all those other things were also morality yeah, because tales. It was, yeah. yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> it's literally just, we just talked about the things we were about. But it was, they evolved from Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. This was along those, it was an evolution from that. You had, you would not have Star Trek if, Twilight Zone hadn't existed. Right. And it's an evolution of that type of storytelling. Mm, And then storytelling had to evolve again and again. And you can actually see that type of storytelling evolve throughout all of Star Trek, even now in its not good current state based on the way filming or storytelling is going right now. Right. And 
that kind of sucks, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. they need—they really needed to remember that Star Trek never cared how stories are told; it always mm-hmm. told its own. Yeah, and I love that Next Gen told these smaller story arcs, mm-hmm. and that we got these larger, longer ones, and that Voyager ended up having a battle of who was in charge, and then that got shrank to smaller stories, but it still made some fucking amazing episodes that I love. And I love every single one of these stories mm-hmm. and they are ridiculous and problem. There's a lot of problematic episodes over a lot of episodes. I have a couple of simple questions as we kind of start trying to wind this whole discussion down. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe this one's a little bit more for Tony. Um, are there any like hidden gem spinoffs that you would recommend? I mean, obviously we know I like Voyager. Not everybody likes Voyager because Voyager is fucking weird mm. and it requires you kind of knowing a deep space nine knowledge going into it. Ah. That's where it suffered. It was a spinoff mm-hmm. directly from the plot line of an existing series. It was mm-hmm. expecting to pull in that viewer base and not anybody knew. Unfortunately, if you don't, like the thing you're not going to get anybody new to watch the other thing mm-hmm. it's not a good way to tell a story sorry guys yeah. and i like voyager you just kind of have to get past it has a great first episode you just get confused because there's <laughs> star trek people and these people that are not Man. star trek people on a ship and they don't yep. like each other and that's a whole confusing mess so but which is part of the fun of the discovering who each other are. Let's let's get a little bit deep for a second. Because when we opened up this discussion, I said that one of the things that turned me off about Star Trek growing up is that it revolved around a utopian society, and I didn't feel like we as humans would ever be able to do that. Mm -hmm. That being said, my... Actually, not utopian. Yeah. My my disillusionment (laughs) of utopias as a child aside. um, Knowing Gene Roddenberry's vision, the society that he created when he first made Star Trek compared to where Star Trek is now in current storylines. I'm not asking you to spoil modern storylines for me. What I'm saying is that as a fan who has watched the originals, who has watched Next Gen, who has watched modern stuff, do you think that Gene would appreciate what Star Trek has evolved into since then? Lower Decks, yes. Okay. He would look at Lower Decks and go, you know what, I might not have liked everything that they were doing in Next Generation, but this makes it's makes sense based off of that. Mm-hmm. It would probably look at Picard and uh, well, he, what's the other one that I really hate. That's good. Oh, that discovery Dis- discovery. Yeah. yeah. Discovery. Um, I think go, he would watch those. Flying fuck. Are you so discovery is the newer star Trek show. Discovery is the one in yeah. C. Uh, well, discovery I think they're Picard both are yeah. the current shows oh, okay. on CBS. Got All access. Right. Yeah, no, okay, so you I, Picard the show, not Picard the person. Right, no, yeah, Picard, 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 Picard the, the show. show. There's it. a show okay, yeah. actually called Picard. Right, it's based on the next generation Which because that one gets the most that, love that, for it. Cool, like, yeah, really don't cool. watch it at all because it took I did, a really I cool really anthropologist guy and made a bad spy show. Yeah, I, I don't know why they did any of that. That's that's never what that character was about. Um you know what I you know what I think Gene Roddenberry would really, really love? Uh I think he would love the Orville. Yeah, I think you would have a lot to say about that, and that that is that, that's why I love that show so much is because it reminds me so much of good Star Trek. This <laughs> it, was, is exactly was, what that if is. If he could get away with people being drunk and making and like being in his universe, oh yeah, these are the drunk assholes that are just talking to each other. Right, that's exactly the people that exist within Star Trek or the Orville. It's it mm-hmm. makes 
He would fucking love that show. He would, and, and why the, I think he would also, yeah. Yeah, and the thing that was so great about that. about that show and about uh, you know Star Trek in general going through is that a lot of things that we count as uh, issues are taken so for granted there. Um, you know, Data creating a uh, a replication of itself, trying to create another sentient android and letting it pick its own gender. Mm-hmm. Um, things like you know. The rights of a hologram uh, based on its um, copyright law. Does a, co- does a hologram's creation uh, uh, allow to be copyrighted? Does it have identity of self? Does it have artistic license? Right. That's an entire fucking episode of... Yeah, ep- yeah, yeah. yeah the, the computer on the Enterprise <laughs> was so powerful that when someone asked their holodeck to make a, um, a, a, a mystery novel nemesis, specifically Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes, capable of defeating Data, the character playing Sherlock Holmes, who is a sentient android and not the character Sherlock Holmes himself, because he was just solving all the problems too quickly. When they asked him to, when it asked the computer to create something capable of defeating Data, it did, and that fucked up everything because that thing, because inside the holodeck, the hologram figured out it was on a ship, figured out it was in space, figured out it wasn't real, that nothing was real, and then tried to figure out how to make it stop. <laughs> not itself, not the hologram, the ship. And it got pretty close. Things like that happen, but all of a sudden, when they met it and started talking to it, they weren't like, oh god, pull the plug, restart, refresh. This thing was talking to them with sentience, and they were like, we're sorry, we we can't let you walk out of here because you'll just evaporate. Um, We can store you in our computers, but we can't just leave this running. And even if we did, would you want to stay in here? And he's like, God, no, 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 no. Maybe one day when you can figure all this out and get me out of here, please do. But until then, turn this off. <laughs> so you think there are aspects of Star Trek that Gene Roddenberry would appreciate, even though they are so vastly different from his original image? Oh, well, yeah. Gene was involved at that. He was oh, still yeah, alive. Yeah, yeah. Gene Roddenberry um, passed away sorry. in 91. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so he, he was involved in the next generation to an extent. Um, so yeah, it only so, ran so, for two so, seasons. Yeah, in fact, his yeah. wife um, was heavily involved in Star Trek, and in fact, she was in yeah. it. Right. So, yeah. I, so my initial question, though, is that when we talk about what Star Trek has become, we're not talking about Next Generation in 1990. It's been, right. Oh, you know, yeah. It's been a decade since then. Like, what Star yeah, Trek no. has become oh, now? I think Gene no, Roddenberry even... might actually physically hate the last three Star Trek movies that were made. Yes, um, I, my note on that is JJ's Star Trek is just action crap. Pretty much. Yep. Pretty much. They tried really hard to do the thing uh, like Final Fantasy Remake where you absolutely capture the soul of thing and then remix it mm-hmm. and modernize it. But, you know, it's still the same. Everything's there that you love. So they use the same characters and the same time frame and just, you know, younged everyone repeat up a little bit. Repeat the same story. Tried to repeat a lot of the same stories. Mm-hmm. and But they just ended up spending the whole movie shooting phasers at each other and... Uh, Doing playing the Beastie things. Boys for some fucking reason. Uh, I like the Beastie Boys, not necessarily in Star Trek, but it was fine, I guess. Uh, yeah, they, they really didn't get it. You could tell that they did not get Star Trek from a Star Trek fan's perspective with all three of those movies. So no, he wouldn't even have with liked Simon Pegg as a Star Trek fan writing the third one was like cool he just got forced to add a bunch of yeah the third one was the worst one (laughs) it was the worst part no like there's elements of star trek in there Mm -hmm. that are just like shoved in like cool there's a motorcycle chase scene he's being here for some 
reason. Yeah, and he's like, like okay. why did he bring a motorcycle to space? And it, we, we so don't we're know. having a hard time selling me here. <laughs> yeah, no, because that's because yeah. JJ wants her shit. What? what? So yeah. my last question before we get to the final question is just I'm opening the floor for closing statements for y'all to sell me. Mm-hmm. Is what is the one thing that really keeps you coming back to Star Trek? I learn something. Pretty much every time I watch an episode of Star Trek, and I don't mean something I didn't know, mm. but it's more of a uh, how to apply empathy in this situation. Because no matter what's going on on a ship, everyone knows how to behave. Mm. And even if, if someone stole someone's girlfriend, something really simple, all the way to, hey, don't use this code to do this thing or you'll destroy a million lives. All of it is approached with empathy and with love and with understanding. And even when someone brings you anger and shows it to you, you come back to them with, what is the problem? How can we solve this? Instead of trying to fight them first. Okay. That's, a- that's, what, that's why I watch Star Trek over okay. and over. I think I watch Star Trek over and over again is because... <sighs> It's the dream of what humanity could be, but unfortunately we will never get, which is, it's sad. I like watch the show and I love every time I watch every one of them, even Enterprise Well, and it's weirdness. We're just not going to talk about it. Um, I love something about all of the shows. I love something about all the movies, including the fucking shitty J.J. Abrams ones. Because there's something about these characters, this universe, this idea that humanity could finally get its head out of its ass Mm -hmm. just long enough to go, oh, fuck, everything wants to kill us everywhere. Right. Okay. I think that, like, it just... So Ma- I, I follow you. I'm there. doing a bad I, example of it. No, no, I, I follow you there. And and the, the the thing is, and because and because Roddenberry wrote this into his mythology, humanity will never get there on on on. We will never get there on our own because nobody could create the Federation on their own. Mm-hmm. The only reason humanity has its shit together in Star Trek is because someone came to give us a helping hand when we were ready. Okay, and that's literally our entire species. And that's a really good lesson for all of us when we look down at people who just are now ready for help. Because if we did figure out a really cool way to travel in space and someone did come and say, oh, hey, all the other shit you're doing is stupid and you need to not carry that stupidity out into space, we're going to help you get over it. Probably a lot of it just by showing you our weird alien faces, but we're going to help you get over this so that you can come join us and we can all do the work of existing together. And that's how humanity actually could get there. Okay. And it's not going to be an easy ride. Hmm. But unfortunately, in the case of Star Trek, it requires an outside force. It does. And help, much help like... And empathy always requires an outside force. Much like good storytelling, or it's... It has the ability. Sorry, I just got completely fucking sidetracked. I'm sorry. I I, I didn't <laughs> like, mean to drop that bomb. Was like oh, it, mm, thought derailed. It's fine. Yeah. it's fine. It is time for closing statements. So yeah. as we began this episode, it was the uh, convince myself and our audience if they are not into Star Trek. 
what makes so uh, Star Trek so great? Why should we give it a shot and give us a recommendation for a thing to watch? Mm-hmm. That's that's now what is on the table for y'all. I'll go quick and then I'll shut up. Um, yeah, Star Trek is wonderful because, and I keep coming back to this analogy because it's my favorite one because we can all imagine how different the world would be if this happened, is imagine if the people who, uh, air quotes, discovered North America approached it with that same kind of empathy and urge for explanation, exploration and discovery of new things and new people rather than just needing to cut down trees for money. Because if they didn't need that and they explored and they found new people and new things, they could actually add to culture and to what everyone had in a much more efficient way than cutting down trees people for could money. Share, share culture instead right. of like trying to impose Th- Think it. about how much better the world would be if that had happened. And even just in that one instance, like it would change everything. We should all be doing this. Futurama so me, makes a joke of it mm-hmm. in, the, in that the... The Captain Kirk of yeah. the uh, uh, spaceship. Oh, Brannigan, yeah. yeah Cap, uh, Zap Brannigan mm-hmm. is overly sexual and wants to fuck everything. Yeah, he's very Wouldn't much a Kirk. would you rather just have a captain of a spaceship who just, instead of wants to kill everything, just wants to show me like, I'm here to can fuck. I put my dick in it? Right. Or can it put its dick in me? Okay. I just want dicks. Right, right. Just whichever <laughs> okay. way we go. And then, and then final suggestion, I already mentioned it tonight, find it. It's on Netflix, um, Star Trek The Next Generation. Find the episode named Darmok and watch it. You will understand, if you like it, why I love Star Trek. And you'll probably keep watching the show. Okay. That is a beautiful Tell episode. Mm-hmm. Um, as for something that I feel isn't just incredibly relatable, like I said, um, I quite a few times, Lower Decks, it's on, I believe, Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. Uh, it was. It's part of CBS All Access, like the other stuff, but... Much like CBS All Access has realized, they no one's going to join it, <laughs> so they put their stuff on Amazon eventually. Smart. And uh, so yeah, I believe it's on Amazon. I think it's I think it's where I watched it. I don't know. I was watching it earlier. Um, I think it's a really good jumping on point because it's done by the animation team behind Rick and Morty. Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm in. I believe Justin Rowland is involved more than in just pour the writing as well on that. Uh, he totally gets the Star Trek thing of it. It feels like... Is it accessible to somebody who's never watched Star Trek? Before? Yes. Okay. That's the important part. It will make a bunch of in-reference jokes mm-hmm. that you'll go like, huh, okay, I guess that makes sense. It's a reference to a thing. Right. But it never puts you down for not knowing it. Okay. It's more of a like, they make references to shit that doesn't happen in Star Trek, like alien species we've never met. Mm-hmm. So they can't make you feel dumb because we're Star Trek people also don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Yeah. These are things we've never seen. Got it. So it's cool. We're experiencing something new that doesn't suck. <laughs> together mm-hmm. and this first season's really good and okay. there's only a few episodes of it so like nice. it's you're you're out like four hours <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good all right well i don't know if you guys have sold me yet but i definitely have a good jumping on point i'll definitely take those recommendations uh recommendations to heart um it did you for our audience out there did did hector and tony change any minds or hearts i really do want to know about this let us know tony where can they find us uh at the surly nerds our twitter Info at the com is our email. We have a Patreon page. We do. We do. It's patreon.com slash the surly nerd. 
Sweet. I'm assuming you're doing a Star Trek thing. Right? I just <laughs> started going to had doing a really bad Kirk impression because I got really confused on what I was doing and I just went with it. <laughs> unintentional Kirk. <laughs> Un- yeah, that was unintentional Kirk. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we're just gonna go with those because uh, thank you. I'm right. done. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna ask you one quick question right off the top of your head yeah. before we go. Favorite Star Trek character, Tony. Harry Kim. Hector? Who? Harry Kim. He's from Voyager. Okay, fine. Um, Definitely Data. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's everything we have for the show this week. Thank you for joining us for our very special celebration of all things Star Trek. Please hit us up at all of those things that Tony just mentioned. Until next week, for Tony, this is James. For James, this is Tony. And I'm Hector. Adventures, good night. And good game. Live long and prosper.